It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. So every year we intentionally teach a series about money and stuff. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One reason being that God says a lot about money and stuff. So if it matters to Him, probably it should matter to us. Uh, Another reason that we every year we hit on this subject and teach on money and stuff is it's at least features consistently in the top three things that can compete for with God for our priorities, you know, our attention. Uh, often it's the number one. And the thing about God is He calls Himself a jealous God. And meaning one of the things when He says I'm a jealous God is like He likes to be number one and He doesn't like anything else for our benefit, by the way, to actually knock Him off number one. And money and stuff can easily, particularly in developing countries, knock him off, number one. So this year, we're teaching a series. We call it Keep the Change. And we launched that last week. It's a three-week series. We launched that last week. And I taught about, the message was called Take Control of Your Money. And I just did a flyover of what I think is like the top five things that God says about managing money and stuff. So if you missed that, you can either watch that on our YouTube channel or you can listen to it on our podcast, and I highly recommend you do that. And this week, moving things along, is built on what we taught last week. What I want to teach on today is, I just want to expose a few things that our culture, the culture we live in, says about money and stuff, and particularly a few things that that our culture says that actually don't line up with what God says about money and stuff. Some of it does, but some of it doesn't. And we're not at war with culture. Culture is not the enemy. But if ever there's anything in culture, if ever there's anything, the prevailing messages in culture, whether it's to do with money or stuff or, or relationships or marriage, or whatever it is, if it doesn't line up with what God says, then my pro tip is choose what God says. If you have to make a choice, choose, with, choose what God says because it's only if we choose what God says that we will experience the results that God has in mind for us. So, and the thing about culture, one of the, the, the tricky things about the messaging in culture, particularly with money and stuff, is whilst some of it's quite overt, some of it is a little bit covert, a little bit more subtle. And then you add to the fact that the longer that you're in a culture, the less you notice things about that culture because it just seems normal to you. That's why we say a fish doesn't feel wet because it's its only frame of reference. And so for us, we particularly, if you've grown up in a, in, a, in a developed country or an aspirational country, there's some things that the culture we live in says about money and stuff that we can just, if we're not careful, we can just accept as being, that's just normal, that's just how it is. And sometimes even run the risk of accepting that must be the best way. And again, if it, doesn't line up with what God says, then choose what God says every single time. So I've got three. Real simple. You're smart. I'm not doing simple because you're simple. I'm just doing three. And here's the first one. Our culture will tell us, you'll be happy if you buy blank. Fill it in, whatever it is for you. Newer car, bigger house, those shoes, 
And the issue isn't buying stuff. I mean, if you own a house, good for you. If you own a car, good for you. If you've recently bought a pair of shoes, good for you. The, the issue is where we derive our contentment from. And if we place our contentment in stuff, then effectively what we're doing is we're giving the keys to our contentment over to marketers and retailers. And we're saying, you're in charge of this. And whatever you tell me, I'm just going to go with. And God would always push back on that and say, no, I want to be your source of contentment. And the thing about putting our, giving the keys of our contentment to, to anyone else is it's shifting sand. It'll change. The rules of engagement will change. The finish line will change. And in fact, our culture will actually tell us that when it comes to money and stuff and buying more money and stuff, there's actually no finish line. And, and, and it's frustrating because you think, if I just get that thing, I'm there. I've crossed the finish line. And then they move the finish line. And you're like, Ugh. And actually, we need to understand it's not a finish line. It's not a racetrack. It's a treadmill. And it just keeps whirring and whirring. And, and you're trying to get over the finish line. Treadmills don't have a finish line. And, and here's the thing. The culture that we live in tells us there's no such thing as enough. There's always more that you, and, and you won't be taught want, there's always more that you need. That there is no finish line. There's no such thing as enough. And if that's true, then the, the, the critical thing for us is that we have to define enough. We have to say, and by the way, that's going to be different for different people. But we have to define, get with God and say, okay, in this sphere, in this deal, in this area of my life, when it comes to consumption, I or we, we're going to define enough. How much is enough on a car? How much enough is enough to spend on a house? How much, this is controversial, I know, how many pairs of shoes are enough? Yeah, Louisa, if she was here, I probably literally would not survive to read the next thing. Jesus said it this way. He was teaching a group of people. He's speaking to the people. He went on and he said, take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. And then he told him a story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. Nothing wrong with that. He talked to himself, hmm, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. <laughs> then he said, I got it. Here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've made it and can now retire. Take it easy. Play some golf. Have the time of your life. Well, just then God showed up and said, <clears throat> fool, tonight you die. And your barn full of goods, who gets it? And that's, Jesus concluded, what happens when we fill our life, our barns, with self and not with God. And then let me just add a little bit of bonus content to this. Some of our uh, being convinced that we always need more and we'll be happy when we get more and there's no such thing as enough, so we just need to keep striving and consuming. Some of it's driven by, by marketing, absolutely. Some of it is driven by comparison. 
which is where we get the phrase keeping up with the Joneses. But here's this new phenomenon. This new phenomenon called social media actually blends marketing and comparison. In fact, we carry the Joneses around with us in our back pocket every day of the week, whenever you've got Instagram loaded or Facebook loaded or the Joneses come with us and the Joneses tell us that their life is better than yours and that you need what they've got. And if you get what they've got, you'll be happier than you are now because you're obviously terribly miserable right now. And so it fuels this comparison that God doesn't ever want us to be driven by because it's absolutely, absolutely not healthy. And it starts to blur the lines between a need and a want. And not all wants are bad, but when we start thinking all wants and needs, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a problem. All right. Here's the, here's the second lie that our culture teaches about money and stuff. And I talked a bit about this last week. And it's this idea you don't need anyone else. You don't need anyone telling you what to do. You don't need anyone helping you out. You, you don't need anyone else. In, in, fact, in fact, be the sort of person that people admire when you've just made it on your own and you didn't need anyone else to help you get there. Well, and we love that. We love those stories. And they're not at all bad, but here's the thing. God doesn't want us to do our financial journey on our own. So we talked last week about ensuring we cultivate high quality relationships, which is true in every sphere of life. Ensure we cultivate high quality relationships with people who are doing marriage well, who are doing parenting well, and yes, who are managing money and stuff well, because your sphere will normalize your understanding of whatever aspect of life that is. That's where we start to say, oh, everyone's doing it. Everyone's got it. And it's like, well, no, it's you in your sphere that's become your frame of reference. And so we draw some conclusions. Some friends in our sphere uh, about a year ago were struggling financially. Now they both work full-time jobs and reasonably decent paying full-time jobs. Um, and they were struggling financially. They literally uh, were kind of just getting through from one pay period to the next. And so I was a race to see whether the money kind of ran out or the calendar ran out, but it was often like a last minute thing. And, and then occasionally they would actually, the calendar would, the money would run out before the calendar ran out. And, and they were just scratching their heads. They were like, man, we both work full time. We, we, we don't live, we, we don't think we live extravagantly. And so Louis and I were able to connect them with a financial planner, a guy that we've used for a couple of decades, and just say, look, just sit down with him and, and just let him kind of run the radar over your, how you're managing money and stuff. And so he rolls into their house and, and he says what he has to say, which is, show me everything, <laughs> like everything. And he wasn't doing it to shame them, like, oh my gosh. And out come the shoeboxes of the receipts. And, and show me everything. I need to see bank statements. I need to see... Uh, purchase histories. I need to see your credit card situation. I need to see your home loan structure. Show me everything. And then they did. They put everything on the table. And as much as, you know, I, I, I don't know what that feels like in the moment, but I can't imagine you kind of feel proud, like we're, we're failing at this. And now we have to actually show somebody proof that we're failing at this. But what happened was he was able to, using his professional experience, able to re-engineer their financial structure 
if you do this and you do this and you consolidate this and you bring this together and, you, and, and in a very short period of time, they, without having to actually go and, you know, get a second job or start, you know, looking for massive, massive lifestyle changes, because they got professional assistance in their financial world, things turned around for them. And then there's another one, and another, not another, another reality for some people in this. And this one, just let me, let me let you know ahead of time, this one I'm about to say, things could get a bit awkward. But I have to go there, because I love you. If you and your spouse, those of you that are married, if you and your spouse aren't reading from the same playbook when it comes to managing money and stuff, then I would strongly recommend you get professional assistance. And the professional assistance you might need is not necessarily from a financial planner. It might be actually from like a Christian counselor. Because this is one of the most absurd things about marriage is that in some cases, opposites attract. And the things that you found quirky and cute when you were dating now start to drive you crazy and start to drive a wedge between you because not in every case, but in some cases, you and your spouse are different. Different personalities. Maybe one's a spender, one's a saver. Maybe you have different definitions of enough. Maybe just your family of origin means that you have expectations. And sometimes the thing about family of origin is you, you're not always aware because, again, a fish doesn't feel wet. And so you have a certain perspective on life and you think that's just normal and your spouse has maybe a different perspective on life and they think it's normal and you can't, you, 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 you can't understand why they don't understand where you're coming from. And then they're going, well, I don't understand why because, no, this is normal. No, this is normal. So there's another thing you may need to, to, because it has the potential to not only erode the strength of your marriage, it actually has, if left, left unchecked, it actually runs the risk, if, you, if you've got kids, to actually pass down a very unhealthy relationship with money to your next generation, which is not something that God would ever want for us. Okay, and here's the third one. The third lie that our culture tells us about money and stuff is simply this, your net worth equals your worth. That we live in a culture that actually sees money as a scorecard. And we use, we use that expression, oh, that person's worth this much. That person's worth this much. And we only use it in terms of a dollar amount. And it's like, what? It's, it's a scorecard. And and nobody, it's just un Australian. No one's going to come up to you and say, How much is in your bank account? Like, we don't do that, but, but here's what we do we, we look at what postcode you live in and maybe draw, draw some conclusions about people from that. We look at what size house you live in and we draw some conclusions about people based on that. Or this one we look at what sort of car you drive and we base some conclusions about people on that. And I was reminded of that recently, Mother's Day, in fact, three weeks ago. Um, 
I was, uh, I don't own a car, so this one is even more absurd to me that people think that the value of your car is an indicator of how much you're worth. But anyway, I'm not about to give you an anti-car rant. Uh, so I went to visit my mom's Mother's Day lunch out in High Wycombe on my little Vespa. And I'm scooting back along Great Eastern Highway, heading home. And a uh, set of traffic lights about 100 meters ahead, they'd turn orange. And I'm, you know, I'm booking it 55 kilometers an hour max speed, me tearing up Great Eastern Highway. And I look ahead, and as the lights have started to turn red, I see the Louis Mobile. Now, Louis is my wife. I see the Louis Mobile pulling up at the set of red lights. And I'm thinking to myself, because she had gone to her mum's for Mother's Day lunch, I'd gone to my mum's for Mother's Day. And I'm thinking to myself, what are the chances? of this happening, that unsolicited, that, that Louis and I are both pulling up at the same set of red traffic lights at the same time. Wow! And so I come scooting in right up behind the Louis Mobile and I need to get real close for this to become a reality for me because I have terrible vision. I got about three meters from the back of the Louis Mobile and I realized it's not the Louis Mobile. It is identical to the Louis Mobile, except Louis drives a Skoda and this was an Audi. It was the Audi equivalent of the Louis Mobile. Now, here is two vehicles. The one on this side is the Skoda. Louis has a version of this, a black one. Uh, that's a long story. Uh, and then this is the Audi equivalent that I pulled up behind thinking it was, and also it was black, thinking it was the Louis Mobile. Now, here's a couple of things to understand about these two vehicles. Number one, Skoda and Audi are both owned by the same parent company. Maybe you've heard of them. They're called Volkswagen. V-dub. They're owned by the same parent company. These two vehicles are built on the identical chassis. I use, use uh, most of the same interior fixtures and fittings and use all of the identical componentry. Right? So essentially, these two vehicles, apart from a couple of little curves and the badge, are identical vehicles. Here's the price difference between these two almost identical vehicles. The Louis Mobile will set you back Aussie $27,000 and its Audi cousin will set you back $47,000. $20,000 difference, nearly double. Now, if you're into cars, I'm not sitting up here trying to yuck your yum. I'm not anti-car, I don't own one, but I'm not anti-car. But I'm just highlighting that we live in a culture that, has, that tells you that the one on the right is worth $20,000 more than the one on the left, even though they're essentially an identical vehicle, simply based on the badge on the outside. And that's really not the problem, although I could find quite a few reasons that if you think you've got $20,000 to just throw at something, I've got some suggestions and they don't include getting an Audi. But again, I'm not trying to yuck your yum if you're a car person. This is the point I'm making that's even more uh, dangerous, is that we live in a culture not only that ascribes vehicle number two as being worth $20,000 more, the badge on that car actually is used in our society to communicate to other people something about the person driving that car. That the person on this side, our culture doesn't ascribe the same value to the driver, 
to the owner. And that's what's problematic. The scorecard is a number. And, and we're told that your net worth equals your worth. And one of the, one of the dangers, so I listen very carefully to the next thing that Pastor Mark is about to say. God is not against us having some nice stuff. Well, come on, that's a relief, right? Because some of you have nice stuff and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I feel guilty. Do I, go and, do I have to go and trade my Audi back in? No. Go, and get a Skoda? I mean, my, what do my friends think? Well, kind of that's the point I'm making. But uh, God's not against us having some nice stuff. His warning is against nice stuff having us. That's the warning. And it goes back to the first point of us defining what's enough. My dad used to teach me, buy the cheapest car that your ego can afford. And this is what Jesus, this is how, this, is, this was his warning. And it's, it's, it's simply in one verse was captured as, as teaching this. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. Now, Jesus didn't say you can't have God and money both. But this is about who or what are we worshiping? Who or what is number one? Who or what is the most important thing? Who or what are we giving our devotion to? Are we chasing after? Are we prioritizing? Who or what is it? Is it money and, or is it God? And the safeguard, normally I'd stand up to make this point, but things haven't quite dried up, uh, up here. Uh, the safeguard is something that we taught last week, and this is something we regularly teach. The safeguard is, is, is our best understanding of God's biblical approach, boiled down to the, the most simple way we can say it. Biblical approach to managing money and stuff in, in this order is give, save, live. So if you are in the market for a car, or uh, whatever the thing, the fill in the blank. Hopefully, don't put your faith in that as being the thing that's going to make you happy. That, that's an issue. But also, when you get there and you're like, I'm going to buy a car. If you're someone who's already demonstrating this pattern in this order with this priorities that you give and then you save, then you live and you've got enough money to buy a car, the car you want, if you've got the money, you're not having to borrow for it and go into consumer debt, then I say, go for it. And on a morning like this morning, I'm going to phone you up and ask you to come and pick me up. And I'm not going to judge you. You roll into our house with an Audi, I'm be like, oh, great. But if you borrowed for that, I'm going to think you're a bit of a... Silly person. <laughs> but we live in a culture that has got these things the other way around. That we prioritize live and live beyond your means and spend money that you don't have to impress people that like 
the Joneses. Uh, no offense to those Joneses sitting amongst us, by the way. Next week, I'm going to land this series and we're going to talk about the give, how to be rich towards God. And uh, as much as it's the third week and this suggests we should have taught it first, I'm going to go from the idea that we're saving the best for last. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live, and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me, and also download our Elevate Church AU app.